When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good evening and welcome to episode three of Sugar in Silk, starring myself, Ben Doughty. And myself, Michael silk How You, you doing, know something, man? Silk? Um, yes, your friend of mine, Kathy Dublin, yes. she's accused my intro of being a little too stiff and too kind of quintessentially English in a way that she finds frankly comical. I just wanted to know, you know, to your American ears or your kind of Canadian-American ears, because she's not fully American either, yeah. how was that this week? Was it good? I thought you were great. I mean, I, 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 I'm thinking the wars right now. And in fact, I know myself, I'm, I'm Nigerian, English, Canadian, American. So, yeah, uh, we've been through this. You, yeah. you, you and her, you, you're both Americanized is the thing. You were Americanized and you were kind of have Americanisms, <laughs> you know, but um, well, nothing wrong with being thorough. I know that, Ben. That's cool. And you, you've got that down. I like that. Okay. Brilliant. So we can only go up from here. Listen, <laughs> Talking about the weekend's action, first yes. of all, we'll start in uh, London, England, because it chronologically it occurred first. Okay. Katie Taylor headlined the show at Wembley Arena last night, and oh. she uh, won a 10-round decision over one Karen Elizabeth Carbajal from Brazil. Uh, I don't know if you caught that fight, Michael, but I to me, the Brazilian girl looked kind of novice, to be honest with you, but um, mm. she was tough and resilient. Obviously, she was conditioned and she was fit. But I, I was interested in, if you had seen the fight, I was interested in your take on it simply because some people are actually suggesting that Katie Taylor is the greatest Irish fighter in history. Never mind gender, just she is the greatest Irish glove boxer that we've ever seen. Um, how do you, without having seen last night's fight, how do you react to that kind of statement? Well, you know, I think a lot of things happen in boxing. Uh, they look at a win-loss record and they don't look at individuals' abilities. Good evening, Paul. And and I just think that's it's just, just a shame. That just goes to show you the lack of knowledge that that is kind of like uh, that's in boxing. We just don't have a lot of great knowledge. There isn't a good teaching source that that needs to hit people to what boxing really is. We don't know that. Like we don't get that across. Not enough people are are are, are saying boxing is more than just the primitive urge to punch someone in the face or the ability to take a punch. There are just so many other things happening at the same time. And that's what needs to be gotten across. So people can then start to open their experiences and open their eyes and see really what a truly great fighter is. What are the attributes that make up a great fighter? That's what needs to be discussed. I, I understand that. And we've spoken about it at length over our acquaintanceship online over the years. Yes. But um, one thing which we differ on, 
perhaps, mm -hmm. um, is that I say ultimately it comes down to who did you fight, who did you beat, who mm -hmm. beat you in and around your prime or anywhere near the kind of relevant yeah. relevance of a defeat, yeah. unlike mm -hmm. Mike Tyson versus Kevin McBride or Muhammad Ali versus Larry Hobbs and Trevor Burbick, which I yeah. think on good grounds I could consign them to the, the, the dustbin of meaninglessness. Yeah. Um, so that so I look at, you know, I look at um, prime losses and I look at who did you beat and when did you beat them? Because those factors, as you know, are, are relevant as just addressed. So, and you're like, well, no, boxing is always in the here and now. It's always about ability. And it's always about, you know, and it's something that you'll you will never make a call on if you've not seen a fighter or been able to study him because you regard that as just a, a bunch of wooden soldiers and statistics when you look at, when you hear about someone like Harry Greb. Whereas I'm like, well, no, my only problem with that, and, and I've thrown this example at you a lot, is that Colin McMillan, Sweet C. McMillan, who won, briefly held the WBO featherweight title in the 90s, looks like Sugar Ray Leonard Light on film. You know, he looks a million dollars. Yeah. But uh, and Carlos Monzon looks relatively, I'm not going to say ordinary, but he looks kind of dour and relentless mm -hmm. and he wins. But, he's, sure, but you can't, but you don't see anything special there. You do not see anything special visually to, to, to the eye of a connoisseur like Michael Elijah Jr. But he is leagues greater than Colin mm -hmm. McMillan, for instance. And I could yeah. give you other examples like Ed Hobson, a fighter who looks absolutely beautiful in the ring, and you could be exactly. like, what a silky, cool stylist. But, but, but looking, ultimately, but looking, that's but, your achievement, accomplishments. But, but Ben, but looking, but looking like you know, smooth, and you're looking fancy, you can do the shuffle and all the rest of that stuff. That's just uh, a personality. That's an attitude. That's not really a, like a, an, an attribute uh, that that you can. Like many people just have like the superficial styles and then there's the substance that comes in underneath. And, and that's what okay. I'm talking about. So I'm talking about like, um, so it's not just your ability to throw the jab, your ability to, to do the Ali shuffle or, you know, do the and walk off and do the, you know, as a yeah, walk off. Yeah, that, that's all dressing. I'm talking about substantial substance, like, um, like uh, being able to slip punches, blocking, parrying, uh, fainting, uh, actually hooking off the jab, like things that are just not as predictable. You know what I mean? Um, double triple, like double tripling a jab to the body, for instance. You know, things like that 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 aren't. You know, uh, throw the I threw the left. Now I'm throwing the right. Now I'm throwing the left hook. That's all like abc one two three kind of stuff and that's you know those those are individuals that are still pretty much new to the game and new to the sport new to the fight they don't have the kind of uh the kind of talent that's causing them to elevate that causes them to have to elevate their game and do more than just the basics to win and that's basically i mean without it's not women's fault but that's basically women's boxing right now I don't yeah. see slipping, parrying, blocking, fainting, the footwork. Not even from the best in women's boxing right now am I seeing stuff. I'm seeing a lot of aggression, maybe even more exciting than men's fights. A lot of what people feel it is because it is that. But I'm just saying um, it, it's it's not the Western Hemisphere's martial art. You know what I mean? Well, I would say some of the like Katie Taylor has skills and craft, and, and obviously she's a, a decorated amateur, and she was a kind of trailblazer, winning the, the the two Olympic titles as she did, as did Clarissa Shields. But but what Katie Taylor, for instance, to me resembles an elite amateur fighter still in some ways. You know, with the, I mean, the two minute rounds probably have some influence on that, and um, that kind of in and out kind of boxing, you know, which which you see is often successful in the amateurs and to a certain degree with certain fighters in the pros 
but there tends to be certain adjustments which involves being a little less mobile and a little less side to side all the time if you don't have to be you know for reasons of pacing yourself and also for reasons of generating more power right because, and because that's you, another thing and that's another thing ben i don't believe in that at all they say uh if you're bouncing up and down and in and out and you're fighting like an amateur and it's absolutely wrong here's what happens and this is why i know we're going to segue into lomachenko but this is why lomachenko was yes. so successful earlier on he carried his amateur style into the pros and people couldn't deal with it yeah yeah now here's the thing if if everybody is doing the same thing flat-footed and throwing punches from a flat-footed stance when you finally meet somebody who gets up on his toes and bounces and moves and in and out and faints and does like an amateur style quick release of punches and throwing in combination Who's really like at the advantage here? It's the person you're not going to see much of, right? Well, that, the, that the, is why that's why a young Cassius Clay took the heavyweight division in the boxing world by storm, despite yeah, he was what the, didn't do. That, you know, he and, and, he, and he was being told by old pros and uh, older fighters in the gym since he was a kid. One of these days, you're going to get your head knocked off, son, fighting yeah. like you do with your hands down and leaning back like that. You know, yeah, but, yeah. Well, and, and and you know, and you're wasting your energy bouncing up and down and all the rest of that kind of stuff. You got to be more like Joe Lewis and just step in and shuffle yeah. and throw the punches. And this is I, every fighter that moves gets the same thing. I had it when I came to New York. People were saying that to me as well. You bounce too much. You did. That's what and, they said and to it me. Gets to you unless you're somebody who's really made of like a real solid, you know, um, who have a real strong sense of themselves. Be, you have to have a real strong sense of yourself to withstand that kind of battling. And, and Ali had that really strong mental, that psyche that he could do that. Well, other people like myself, I kind of like relented a little bit. I was like, oh, maybe I am missing something. Maybe I do need to do something in order to like crack the top 10 or, or to get the world title and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, stick with what works. Stick with what's you because your fight, how your fight style is your personality. Those two mesh. And once you take one out of the way, you you know, the other one falters as well. And you know what? The other thing they probably said to you, I know they said it to me as a, as a young amateur with this flashy style, particularly because I was yeah. uh, coming up in a fairly unfashionable rural area in you, the 1980s. Say again? They said, they said I was too pretty. You too, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, you know, I used to get a little bit of that kind of... Um, kind of negative sort of reviews way back in the day. Long time ago, you understand. But um, no, but the other thing they told me, and I'm sure they said to you as well, is, yeah, but look, that's great, but there's only one Ali. So you shouldn't aspire to greatness. You shouldn't aspire to brilliance. You should just be ordinary like every other fool because you because yeah. you didn't deserve to aspire to something, you know, something great like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, I'm sorry. Power. I forgot to, I forgot to pay my rent. Uh, yeah, I knew things were going to turn bad sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There we go. Sorry. There we go. Let there be light. Yeah, you uh, know, I, that was James. I think that was James Tony Center. Right yeah, th that's a nice reference. If you don't understand Michael Elagide's reference then about James Tony, then get off this broadcast. We are elitist. We're not here for educated <laughs> masses. If you don't pass an entry level exam, then we don't want you, quite frankly. You were saying so. <laughs> Um, I forgot what I was saying. I took too many we shots. We were talking about Ali. We were talking about amateur yeah. styles. We were talking about Katie Taylor. We were about yeah. to segue, as you said, into Vessel Lomachenko. You know what? Yes. I mean, I, I love you, Michael, because I, I was phoning it in and reading off a script a little bit then, and you pulled me up. And, and 
I can't disagree with you because what you're saying is the tr triumph of my tradition, and that is my instincts 100%. I was talking yes. about the amateur style and the pro style, when actually I don't believe that yes. to any great degree. I was I, I was a, a little bit on cruise control then, and you pulled me up and said, well, no, that's wrong. So, okay, but Katie Taylor does have some prestigious of technique. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she is a good counterpuncher. She does have good footwork. She does have good balance. Mm -hmm. Power, I'm not particularly sure about. I mean, obviously, she can hit respectably within the context of, of her division and her gender. Um, and it is what it is. Certainly, commercially, women's yeah, boxing. Okay, so let me really ask you that. Well, hold on, Before we go even further on that, let's talk about punching and women punching and men punching. And we'll sure. see that, like, female boxing, like, with the Lucia Riker was maybe the only female puncher that I've seen. And maybe um, Ali's... Uh, um, what about Ann Wolf? Yeah, and then Wolf. Yes, exactly. Very few, though. You get you can count them on one hand. Have there been great female punches? Whereas as a guy, I would look at him and say, "Yeah, I wouldn't want to get hit by her either." You know what yeah. I mean? And and that's because the technique again, um, because women are rushed through the ranks, and there aren't that many of them, and their coaches don't take them seriously, but they want them to show the heart. They're like, well, nobody wants to see you guys cry, so you better go out there and get rough. And and so instead of paying attention to their technique and teaching them how to punch properly, so then the punches, even even um, uh, the fight that was two weeks ago, um, the, the girls are punching, in there and their joints are locked. Like, like yeah. the joints are like the joints in the elbow and the shoulder and their and the wrist they're not locked so when they're punching it's in sections it's got the the body goes then the arm goes uh, and then the, like the wrist goes and then the fist goes and, and it's like that's not proper fight kinetics you know what I mean this has all got a lock it, it's that kinetic chain the wrist is gonna it's gonna land in, in on the middle finger knuckle lock the wrist lock the elbow hit the shoulder, then you can put the weight of your body behind it. And that's what give, creates the powerful punch. Nothing else. Yeah. It's and I, and I like, can... power is weight plus speed, right? Yeah. So, so maybe we will see that the women's game commercially has definitely arrived. They were talking last night about a return to Ireland for Katie Taylor's at Croke Park, where you might remember Muhammad Ali fought Al Blue Lewis there in Dublin. They're talking about an 80,000 crowd and a rematch with Amanda Serrano, who I remember you saying she was super hot, regardless of anything else. I do remember you making that. Um, you were saying, is that still allowed in, by today's filter? Or, or is it actually a comment non grata? But in any case, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that did unfold. Um, so, But in order to get some of the changes we're talking about, or some of the excellence at all levels that we're talking about in the female game, I think it will need to come from those generations where they started as kids like... like a lot, of, a lot of guys did, you know, when they were eight years old, nine years old and 10 years old and so on. Talking of someone who did start at that kind of young uh, childhood age, let's talk about Vassal Lomachenko. Extended yes. more than somewhat last night by Jermaine Ortiz, who himself yeah. looks a very good fighter. He looked about three divisions bigger than Loma. What did you make of it? He did. Uh, uh, he did look bigger. Um, Lomachenko, high-tech Lomachenko, right? Um, I, I'm like, I'm almost like when he came up from, well, he should be able to handle because he is all about the technology, technological parts of boxing. They were saying, you know, he's slipping, he's blocking his angles, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And he is amazing. No doubt about it. He's absolutely amazing. I think he also does too much. Yeah. He does more than he has to. Um, you should have blanked out for a second. Your screen's black. And no, I you, you, yours did, yeah. You, yours. 
I don't know what happened, but you, your 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 audio is perfect, and I can hear the, okay. what you're saying. But you froze. All right. All right, cool. So so Lomachenko has the same problem that other fighters would have, and even though his fight his fight style looks high tech and he has all these different abilities to him, he still that's still. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Considered one style. So he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He can do many different things when all he needs is one thing. All he needs is the knife. But when he when he goes into when he went into that fight last night against this kid, and he and I think the same thing with um, with uh, you know the I'm sorry I'm punching the fight that he lost <laughs> against Tiafimo uh, Lopez. Tiafimo Lopez, yes. Um, he he's he can do so much. He doesn't know what to do, and he can't yeah. commit to one style. And if you can't commit to one style, you can't get the experience. You can't do all the things you need to do in boxing. So so he'll go in there and he'll like he'll pivot to the side and he'll do that and he'll get an angle and blah 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 and then he'll turn him and spin him and do all the rest of that. It's unneeded. It's it's unnecessary and it's you know it's just overkill really. He just funny needs to go in there that. as a basic fighter and do his stuff. Sorry, go ahead. It's very funny you should say that because there's a there's a Facebook commentator called Jeremiah Pricer, I think you pronounce his surname, he's from Denver. And he yeah. was saying the same thing. He thinks that um the Lomachenko needs to better minimize his strategy and his yeah. approach and, and, to, and, to, and to downsize his best assets, as it were, yeah. you know, to, to, into a more effective package, particularly now he's getting a little bit older as a fighter. You know, yeah. he's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe he's yeah. 30, is he 34, I believe, Lomachenko. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. uh, some people are saying that the, the wear and tear, and, you know, of a gargantuan amateur career is finally catching up with him and you're seeing a degree of burnout and a degree of father time, which tends yeah. to afflict the smaller guys a, a little more quickly. And yeah. other people are saying, no, you know what? He's just been out of the ring for a year. Um, There's he's that. not a lightweight anyway. And, and yeah. he'll be better when he, you know, if he comes up against Devin Haney. Um, do it's you a little have... bit of everything, but I can see the Haney fight being a problem for him. I can, yeah. I can see the fight being a problem, but I can also see it being a problem for Haney as well. But the thing is... Um, Lomachenko looks a little bit more apprehensive now. Uh, you know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. seem to have that same, like, the, there's hesitation, whereas before there wasn't. And and um, that's, and, and when he when he gets hit, there's a definite reaction. Like, I see him, I, I guess maybe before I never saw him getting hit, but since the uh, Tifimo Lopez fight, uh, it seems like he's not quite willing to, not that he should, but he's not willing to stand in there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think I think it can affect a fighter's psyche. When I don't Absolutely. think he was affected by the loss to Salido because it was it was so implausible that he was challenging for a world title. At, you know, in his second mm -hmm. pro fight, mm -hmm. and he, he did lose kind of heroically. And like I say, it was such an audacious thing to undertake. It wasn't yeah. really the kind of thing that put a dent in a fighter's psyche. But I think mm -hmm. the, Loma, the the nature of the Teofimo Lopez loss. Yeah. was a little bit more um, demystifying, perhaps yeah. internally, you know, for himself. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there was I nothing thought, that he seemed to be able to do with it. Even when he tried to turn it on against his kid, I thought he won against the kid last night, but I, I didn't. Like when he tried to turn it on and get him out, he couldn't. And, and yeah, the kid was bigger, obviously, but um, yeah, or, or appeared stronger, or appeared really strong. But the kid wasn't uh, multiple levels of of complexities. He he's pretty raw. He's pretty basic. And and if and if Lomachenko stayed the basics like block the kid's jab, slip and counter, just basic stuff like double up on a jab, throw that right hand or left hand down the pipe, you know what I mean? Just basic things, turning over just a good solid hook. I think he could have done a whole lot better because to me that that the, the kid didn't look that complex that he couldn't couldn't get him out if he did wanted to step on it. One thing about Ortiz was he threw a lot of punches. He was busy I and mean, he had decent hand speed. Yes. They throw a lot of combination punches in a way that Devin Haney might not choose to do. Yeah. Devin Haney's, uh, he, he's interesting. I, I um, him and Stevenson, I'm, I'm not quite like, they're obviously high quality. They're very, very, they're excellent fighters. Um, I just, there's still that, that thing missing that makes them like the Durans, the Leonards, the personalities that, you know, you want to really sink your teeth into. You watch the fight yeah. because you love boxing. You don't watch the fight because they, you love them. You know what I mean? Like sure. we're looking for that personality. Gervonta Davis is that kind of personality. You want to tune in. You're like, okay. Well, the, the, the big fight they're talking about in the lightweight division right now is Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, where yeah. they've, they've been increasingly close to a deal according to all the kind of social media leaks and statements from both parties yeah. recently. Uh, the, but the most recent quote I saw from Garcia was that he says, I want to fight Tank and Tank wants to fight me. They've made an offer which I've instructed my team to get it done just as it's been offered and I don't seek to contest anything. I want to fight and I want to fight that guy. Uh, and he said, it's a shame that we, we need to stop this bullshit, basically. When we look, he said, with all due respect, boxing shouldn't be defined by celebrity YouTubers doing this, that or anything else. And we need to get this over the line. And I'm willing to, he said, I'm not even that concerned about the, the financial particulars, you know. Uh, and there's, you know, inevitably there'll be arguments. Mm -hmm. There's the stumbling block with the networks, you know, with the zone yeah. and yeah. with, uh, and, and uh, PBC, right? I think it would be... Yeah. Um, so, See, same thing. Like quickly, Ben, just on, on that one point you hit on, on the financials, not worried about the financials. That's Those are the wrong words coming out of a fighter's mouth, but you can't win either way. Like for a fighter to say, I'm not worried about the financials, they are what they are. To be fair, he didn't say that, by the way. That's me putting oh. words in his mouth. Oh, All okay. he said is they made an offer and I instructed them to get it done as offered. He said. Oh, okay. he, all right, got it. So the implication was he had nothing to contest on the offer yes. at all. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. So, I mean, that all makes sense to me. I mean, I think that is a very interesting fight. That's colorful. That's um, that's two guys extremely fast, extremely powerful, young, energetic. They have a lot going on, and they have the personalities that will draw you in. So not the average person will see it. That is, to me, the best fight in the lightweight division right now, and and possibly in boxing, all of boxing. Maybe so. And and, and if I if – I, um you on the spot who'd you pick I, i'm going i i can see how um garcia how we can give him a problem because he's that kid is uh i'd go a tank yeah 
I think okay. I would. I was talking to Mike Ayala um, over the weekend, mm. and he was saying that he he, he favours Garcia just because he's the bigger guy, obviously because he's talented mm. and he's a good puncher and he's offensively, you know, he's a good, he's a fine offensive fighter, yeah. um, but a bit of star quality. But he said he fancies the bigger guy. Yeah. When it comes well, down to it, but I, I'm with you. I think Tank yeah. carries his power up to wherever, and, and yeah, he's, just, yeah. he's, got a, he's got a lot of layers and a lot of textures, which can be a problem for so many fighters in the world between yeah, yeah, absolutely 135 and 140 yeah. yeah so garcia is um like he has great attributes about him he's got speed uh i'm not sure about how he operates under you know what i mean when the heat is on and he's getting hurt and is he well we've seen him get off the deck we've seen him get off the deck yeah, and win a fight true true but he didn't get and and the kid he got up off the deck off was young and sharp and you know i don't know if that kid had an extra gear i didn't have the kind of gear like like uh yeah tank like tank for instance but you know anytime you get up off the canvas and you're able to come back and win that's a plus that's absolutely in my book sure okay um moving on to an update on the connor ben situation I suspect this story is going to play out for a while, but yeah. the update from this side of the pond, which is relevant because it wasn't it wasn't the case when we spoke last week, was that Conor Ben was called to a hearing with the British Boxing Board of Control regarding allegations of misconduct, which actually were not related to any doping issue. It was something else, but nobody knows what it was. Or Well, some people do, but I don't know what it was, and nobody publicly knows what it was. But he was called for the board on a hearing. I think it was at the start of last week, okay? And he, rather than attend the hearing with the the regulatory body in this country, he rescinded his British Boxing Border Control licence. In actual fact, to be even more specific, Eddie Hearn was at pains to stress that it, actually his licence has lapsed. Now, that means you have to renew it every year, right? And you have to mm -hmm. pay the fee and loads of no issues. You, you, you renew your license every year. But yeah. uh, that must have run out at some point in the last few couple of weeks because he was, go he was going to fight on October the 8th. So he was obviously mm -hmm. active then. Mm -hmm. So at some point between October the 8th and last week, his license must have been up for renewal. He opted not to renew it because then he doesn't have to attend the hearing, you know, and they can't, they can't yeah. say anything to him. him. or anything, yeah. Yeah, and and that's what that's what he's done. And he's from his point of view, from uh, as mostly voiced by Eddie Hearn in actual fact. Although Conor Ben did give a couple of big interviews to the Sun newspaper and the Times newspaper. That this kind of like one for the peasants who you know work on building sites and yeah. and talk about the things that that working yeah. men talk about in cafes. Yeah. I'm, I'm parodying and being before we get complaints. Yeah. yeah, and then one for the more kind of intellectual broadsheet readers. So he he tried to cover the you know the cultural. Um, so sociological basis and he gave two interviews but but it was her that was saying that he basically thought the um being called for, to answer the charges of misconduct about something allegedly unrelated he got really pissed off about that apparently he thought it was really unfair and it led him to be it made him get the hump as it were to use a, a cockney phrase with the border control and it made him doubt that he would get fair process at their end, any involvement they might have had in this situation and any decision they might subsequently make. So consequently, he decided, you know, sod you. And he's actually made a statement in his interview with The Sun and The Times that he will never box for the British Boxing Board of Control again. The hell with them. And he cited the time his dad allegedly tore his licence up on live television because they wouldn't accept his manager, Ambrose Mendy, who was, who, who, and they thought it was on racist grounds, that, that it was a closed shop and they weren't letting young black brothers in 
you know, to, to help guide other young black brothers. Yeah, yeah. To tell you the truth. Which uh, is an absolutely that, different point altogether. There you go, Michael. Well done. Because somebody said, listen, if he was standing up for equality and for his friend and loyalty, that's one thing. You were, you were tying in your license in because you failed two drug tests. That was the other thing. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> the other update, he failed another drug test in July, not just the one at the end of August yeah. or the start of yeah. September. And they didn't tell Team Eubank about the first fail, by the way. Nobody told them that. Allegedly, once again, the Eubank said they didn't know about that. They just knew about the second one, and yeah. they were still prepared to fight and, and yeah. get, get that big yeah. get paper. Well, let me um, ask you a question, Ben. Does cheating ever get like unfulfilling in in anything like that's like people cheat and then they they get caught and they get upset or people cheat and they win when doesn't that ever get unfulfilling doesn't that ever like how can you be okay with that that's just well, what baffles me like how do you go how do you cheat beat somebody in the ring because you know you cheated and be okay with and how are you okay with that afterwards well, the thing is, his his point of his whole defense still, which and he has aired it to a degree as as basic and predictable as it was, is that it must be contamination via chicken or eggs or chicken chicken eggs to be more precise. You know, which is what that's eggs from chickens. Uh, the trouble with that is, it's been established that clomiphene is not authorized for use in animals in the UK, farm-fed animals in the UK. So he must have got chicken eggs that were imported, if indeed he has somehow ingested this <laughs> offending substance, which was found in his system, not once, but twice, you know. So, But yeah. he's still absolutely arguing he's innocent. Eddie Hearn is going all out there saying, I believe he's innocent, you know, and and the, the apology better be as loud as the disrespect, you know, I think has emanated from both of their lips at some point in the last couple of weeks. Mm. So mm. he is still trying to argue that, Michael, what I want to know is where will this legal battle be fought? Eddie Hearn keeps saying he's got a fight ahead and, he's, and it's a fight he's got to fight on his own. You know, we're not involved with his defence. We, we're loyal to him, we're his friends and we're here, but he's going to have to do this on his own. Where yeah. will it be done and it, in what kind of legal forum? Because um, he's not now a licence holder with the British Boxing Board of Control, so it won't be, he won't be attending any hearings with them in the near future. So will it be a UKED um, trial process? It won't be VADA, I don't believe, because I don't think VADA do that. I think they just do their do their job very well. They make their results known to whoever asks them to, you know, whoever pays them to do to conduct the testing. Yeah. So the only legal process I can imagine can be could be with UKED, unless of course he decides to take somebody to court over this situation. You know, you know, I, you know what I think Ben. I think like this is all just semantics and silliness and you know we know what it is we know there's no santa claus we know we know what things are and what they are and we all have these we all have human nature we know how human nature is we know how it works we know how individuals work listen if a person can't look at the facts and know that this young man you know I don't want to say I don't want to judge him because because he's a fighter and I and I and I understand the hardships of a of a fighter and the efforts, but also his opponent was subject to these things and could have been seriously hurt. So at the same point, I I want I'd want to stand up for Eubank as well and and the fact that cheating is just not. I mean, we all know it's not good. It's not fair. It's not straight, and the man should just he doesn't have to own up. He owned up by actually saying he didn't want anything to do with it. He doesn't want the British Boxing 
control thing anymore. He's maybe going to move to the States and start fighting here, all the rest of that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. That's good. We know what the story is. We know you cheated. You did your whatever you had to do. You won't be the only one in the sport to do it. But you know what? Take it. Learn from it. And, and you know, I don't know. I don't know what else to say, but it's like, it's it's kind of it's, it's kind of it's a little bit infuriating when people start playing you for the fool and they're always taking you yeah. for you know trying that, to take you for a ride and it's just tiring and after all it's boring and it's like you know what I mean like dude move on. Well, you know the thing is people because he said he's spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on clearing his name, you know, and he's got the best scientists on this and everything. He's not, now, no way. <laughs> I, I made the I made the mistake of doing that one time of trying to uh, clear up uh, a fallacy that happened in boxing, and um, it, it was actually a fight that I had, and there was all sorts of controversy that happened. I took it to court. The worst thing I should I should have just accepted it because you spend money on legal fees, all of us that kind of stuff, and you end up nowhere different than where you were when you started, and that's just how it works. And that's exactly and and Ben, if he's spending hundred thousands of pounds on it, no, I, I don't believe that at all. He's not he's not he's not trying to protect his name. He's prote- he's trying to protect his name for as much as he can talk about it, and they'll put him on TV. If they put a camera in his face, he knows what he wants to say. But he's not—he's not shown the effort of trying to get like uh, like Vada and different individuals that take measurements and Bennett. Uh, uh, he's not going that way with it, and that's because he knows what it is. He knows what it is. He knows the truth, and so we know the truth because he knows the truth. Okay, we shall see how the situation resolves itself in the next. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's going to take, weeks, months, but we shall see. And no doubt we will comment where appropriate. Um, And are you going to care down the road? Say again? Are you going to care down the road? I mean, you know exactly what it is already. Michael, for me, Connor Ben, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. I met him when I did an evening with Nigel Ben in 2015. And Nigel was over from Australia where he lives, I believe, to this day. And he had his son with him, you know, and his son was a young up-and-coming pro, nice kid, pretty unassuming, quite quiet, um, just nice kid. Um, then he, I did watch him evolve into this kind of conglomeration of ego tattoos and sponsors over the yeah. years. Yeah, and I bumped yeah. into him, you know, I bumped into him over the years in the gym sometimes, you know, yeah. and he did seem to mutate into this caricature, which I felt was getting a little bit gassed to use yeah. the the kids uh, phrase, you know, um, yeah. phrase. and I understand that because, you know, you, I totally understand how your ego can get swollen by certain circumstances, especially when you're making a fortune and starting to blow guys away. And people are starting to think, you know what? He's not just this pay limitation of his dad that we couldn't take seriously. He's a genuine world-class fighter. So say, and he's got all these kind of uh, commercial options and, 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 you know, obviously everybody was, the diehards, some of the diehards were knocking the Eubank Jr. thing and saying it didn't make sense and it was a bit of a fallacy and it shows that we've degenerated into this celebrity culture. But a lot of them, most of them were up for it. And my, even myself, I thought it was a, it was an interesting fight and I was looking forward to watching it. But, um, you know, but I have seen him change that way. So the, um, I never thought he was 
I never thought it, it was an overly interesting fight for me to watch personally. I didn't want to be too prejudiced against him just because, yeah. you know, because we see sometimes, I think I suspect people like you and me, we, we, we have a, a kind of a relationship with the father, you know, even if it's on a kind of just on a, on a watching yeah. basis. Yeah. And we're loath to accept that. And, he, you know, like Muhammad Ali's grandson, I, I have a feeling that you're not knocked out by that whole concept and you automatically almost, almost your kind of instinct is for him not to be very good and just to be some kind mm. of... Um, media yeah. creation because I think we'd rather we, we don't really want to fuck with the original right so that was kind of the one no, I'm not saying I'm a big you know devotee of Nigel Ben, but that's kind of my default position anyway on the sons or grandsons of of either domestic greats or, or yeah, yeah. global icons you know so, yeah. so no, well, I, they, certainly, they certainly can't be their fathers or grandfathers we understand that they're not going to be their blood relatives no, no matter what like Hector Camacho's son was not Hector Camacho and as much as they dress up and then they have their last share the same last name in the genetic, uh, you know what I mean? The same chromosome. It's just not. It's just not the same thing. I always say it, but the best son of an established world champion. And when I say an established world champion, I mean an established name. He he certainly didn't establish himself as a world champion for long, but he is an iconic name. The best son of that kind of individual was Corey Spinks. I think he was probably better than oh. Leon. All things considered, wow. if you look at any other examples where the where the son was much better than the father, it was because the father didn't get all the way to the mountain top, but he established a, a decent bar like Floyd Mayweather Senior and Junior. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Buster Douglas, Bill Douglas, Bill Dynamite Douglas, and and, and yeah. James Buster Douglas. But you don't see f f guys who won world championships who spawn a son who ends up surpassing them. That's what Nigel Ben said at this this evening that I did with him in Chigwell uh, in East London back in the day, he said that he will surpass me, you know, and that's just a father's love for his son, you know, yeah. but yeah. I remember being skeptical at the time. And mm -hmm. yeah, I am a bit more skeptical now. And I've given you a very long answer. You asked me, would I care down the road? I could have simply <laughs> said no and moved on. Yes. I have you all left. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, had, I had a question for you. Is reach a mythical advantage? No, I think it's real, but I think it's not incircumventable because, you know, and it's not unsurpassable. You know, people always give the example. They say that you can beat a taller fighter with a good jab, right? That's one of the things they say, which you may or may not disagree with. Because, see, I talk to most people in boxing, right, Michael? And mm -hmm. particularly since a lot of people, obviously you, you wouldn't be included in this, but some people feel like they're slightly out of their depth with me anyway because of what the reputation I've managed to kind of build. And some of them may not feel that way but i'll say something like you know the, the safe comfortable cliches like timing beats speed and a good jab can beat a taller fighter and they will just nod automatically you will never do that on a knee-jerk basis so i don't know what you feel about that but i think you can certainly you can certainly beat taller fighters with longer arms than you that's not that is well well established but i would say it is an advantage for the most part unless somebody's style and attributes is so well adapted to fighting taller fighters like you know you get like a peak Mike Tyson Muhammad Ali certainly believed it was a huge advantage when Ali was going into a fight that he regarded as taxing or even potentially suicidal let's say in the case of George Foreman mm -hmm. the fear that he felt the healthy amount of fear that he felt gave him the need to to erect this wall of ego around himself and he would take a lot of care in breaking down why this was a mismatch in his favor in the media he would go through a guy like Foreman's record and be like look he fought this guy in his seventh fight he was a nobody in my seventh fight i fought this guy who was actually a giant slayer and he mm -hmm. would keep going and going through it so it was like he was trying to convince himself and 
in the yeah. early days of talking up that fight with George Foreman, he was talking about how much longer his reach was than Foreman's. And he said, even a quarter inch is an advantage. And and, and he had, I think he, because he had one and a half inches reach on Foreman. Like, don't quote me. I can't quite yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was saying even a quarter inch is an advantage. And I have this, you know, relative um, chasm of reach. So he thought so. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I, th I think it's I, I think it's pretty much mythical. I mean, but again, it, it all depends on your trainer's belief system. You're absolutely right. It, it's about how you're taught. Like reflexes, timing, those are the major engines that drive a fighter. Um, if you have a reach advantage, that reach advantage. If you're fighting a short advantage, a short armed fighter, but who knows how to slip punches and make you miss, it all of a sudden becomes a disadvantage. Because the because every time you throw that punch, your opponent's able to slip. Yeah, you extend with the punch and you leave everything open, and and they're in a, a particularly good position to you know follow up with counters. And that's one of the you know there's just some of the things that I always found kind of like intriguing, like these these myths, like um, uh, oh, what was another one I was thinking? Um, do, 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 uh, height reach advantage, um, that, yeah, like height advantages. People say there's a height advantage. That's almost like incredible to me that they could say that. No one's so tall. I, I tell you what, here's an interesting thing. I was talking to a basketball player. I was training him. This is many years ago. And and he was, I guess he had to be about 6'9". Six, 6'9". Nine, six, nine. He'd never fought before, but he was 6'9", basketball player. Big, physical guy. And um, he, Manny Pacquiao was was uh, boxing at the time and height of his popularity. And... Um, and his wife loved Pacquiao. <laughs> so, so he goes, so we were training and he goes, you know, Manny Pacquiao is so small. I met him. I would, I would do this. I would do that. And I, and I was like, oh, no, no, hold on a minute. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Maybe he may be 5'6 or 5'5 five five or 5'4, five but he's still not too short that he couldn't catch you on the chin. You know what I mean? So... So as you talk about height advantages, six nine, Pacquiao's five four. He will still hit him in the chin and knock him out and beat him, even as a hundred and twenty six hundred and thirty five pound fighter he would. And he did it, and he did that kind of thing with Antonio Margarito, you know, who was much taller than him. It'd yeah. be interesting to isolate examples. I did an article once for a magazine called Fighting Fit. Yeah, and they were they wanted two monthly articles running one after the other the first one was tips for a taller fighter against a shorter guy it, mm -hmm. you know what it's probably the other way around first because it's perceived as the as the disadvantage the mm -hmm. first month's article was tips for a shorter fighter to defeat a taller opponent mm -hmm. and we broke it down with a trainer over here called alan smith who's quite well known and a couple of fighters called sam webb and bradley skeet mm -hmm. and then the next week we did the other way uh we did the the other side of the coin when we looked at ways uh, I think they called the article "Get Shorty" on my suggestion, and it was about you know tips for the taller fighter how to maximise mm -hmm. his so-called advantages, you know. But yeah. um, I don't think it, it's like southpaws, isn't it? When people say, "Oh, what do you do against a southpaw?" or "I don't like fighting yeah. southpaws," I'm sure you would say it depends how good the southpaw is, and you know, and it's yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
you yeah. deal with the problems you have in front of you, you know. And I think I don't anybody who is intimidated by someone who's just because they're taller and got a long reach. I mean, if it's Tommy Hearns or Bob Foster, then you've got problems. But if <laughs> yeah. it's if it's no a guy like Jess Willard, then you yeah, should yeah. be okay if you if, if you can fight. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm besmirching Jess Willard's name, aren't I? But I don't. I don't think he did anything particularly special during his uh, career, except for, you know, knocking out Jack Johnson in the 26th round in Cuba, mm -hmm. Havana. I do think it was a genuine knockout, by the way. I don't think Johnson's oh, a do? good five. I don't, I, want I, your... I don't know if I ever really saw that fight, or enough of it anyway, to know it was up. See, the thing is, that here's the thing. When we start going back to that far in history, there's so many influences. Think of today. They're, they're like... They're like... Uh, uh, Criminal influences in everything. Let's just say, right? Yeah. Not that there is that, that that I know of any in boxing, but I just know that there have been over time, and sometimes yeah. they've drawn very influential. Then they get liked, then they go influential, influential again. Back then, in those days, there are so many reasons to take a dive or whatever. You know what I mean? And it doesn't take very much to um, to influence a fighter to do that. Whether it doesn't. I mean, the thing with Johnson, though, he was certainly living in that kind of ecosystem when you could yes. probably find 101 reasons why school duggery might occur. Yes. But to me, taking that fight in particular, I don't think Johnson would have waited till the 26th round to take a dive. Although it wasn't as hot in the arena as some people have, you know, as, as history has remembered, apparently it was only about 74 degrees that day, which is not usually hot for... For the you know for that particular time of year in Havana, Cuba, but yeah. the fact is it was still hot, it was still grueling. He was still thirty-seven years old, and he'd still been dissipated by a couple of years of soft living, while he was kind of effectively on the run almost with his title. You know, having barred from re, well, it wasn't barred from re-entering America. It just wasn't a good idea because he was going to get arrested. You know, and uh, but he was he was hit good and proper in the twenty-sixth round. Yeah. People have pointed out before why would he wait. 26 rounds and for 19 rounds apparently Johnson was winning and had also yeah. cut Willard's cheekbone you know and cut and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I don't believe I, I think he just got knocked out but obviously Johnson when he was a little older and in need of uh, some cash he he, he yeah. sold his confession to the ring magazine and he said you know I always thought it was fallacious when he said he was shielding his eyes from the sun which proves yeah, that yeah, he, yeah. he, he you you can be completely knocked out, hurt and buzzed and not getting up and exhausted. You can still put your hands up. No one's saying you have to be unconscious and incapable of putting your hands yeah, up yeah, your eyes. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. not an argument. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's worse to me, Ben? What's worse to me? A new punch was invented last night uh, in the Lomachenko. Swivel jab. The swivel jab. <laughs> like, where are they? That's, that's Tim Bradley. Where are they coming up with this? What? Do you know what? Yeah. Let's finish on this then, because Frank Lotierzo, who I think you know Frank Lotierzo, who's a pretty yeah. cool boxing analyst. Do you know what? For years, it put me off friending and, and hooking up with Frank on Facebook because yeah. this fucking idiot kept talking about how great he was. This <laughs> Scottish weirdo freak that I managed to, to shed you know, from my social media many years yeah. ago. Yeah. He kept talking about another great piece from possibly the box an best analyst in the world of boxing, Frank Lotierzo. And he was such a cheerleader. I was like, you know what? Fuck Frank Lotier's. <laughs> but I've since hooked up with him and I think he's great. You know, he's one yeah. of us. Cool. And I know he won't mind me saying that because he knows I'm saying it in jest today. But yeah. Frank, 
has been very vocal about his distaste and incredulity at this recent news speak. He calls it the cool kids and their new kind of argo that they're inventing. Chair yeah. Cook is a big one, right? Nobody heard of that. Nobody really seemed to use that before Floyd Mayweather knocked yeah, out Ricky yeah. Hatton in December yeah. 2007. Yeah. But he's talking about, you know, stuff like the swivel jab, the yeah. front foot shuffle. And he said, what the hell is all this bizarre language? Yeah. I, I just I don't understand where it's where it's coming from, and I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those things like we're we're old and we just don't get along with, you know, we don't move uh, at the same time as these as these new people are moving and saying these saying the, like maybe they're giving something a title that and that's going to help define the move. Uh, maybe that's it. I don't know, but I just, it doesn't make sense to me for someone who's been in boxing for so long and who's seen it just called uh, like a, uh, like a jab or even a, or even an up jab, you know, it's an up yeah. it's a hybrid between an uppercut and a jab that we call it, you'd call it an up jab, but. You know what I call it? A screw yeah. shot. If you're talking about, if you're talking, you always wonder which way you're going with these cameras because yeah, know, whichever right. way left it is right. I, right. I'm going to Yeah. So, okay. There's, yeah. You, you lean that way and you throw it straight as a die, but you finish with your hand facing up like this, not down like that from a normal jab, regular jab, right? I uh, call that the screw shot. Okay, well, I could see why that would be a screw shot because your hand is like this. Yeah, uh, I've, thrown, I've thrown jabs like that, which is kind of like a, a like an uppercut jab. And but the thing is, like that, what the up jab is faced like that, because what that what this punch does is. When a person likes to hold the muffs or come with their hands here, you want to get up in between. You can't force the yeah. glove hand through that through this, but you can get it if you're coming yeah. upwards like that. You know who you know who was a, who swore by that one? Who's that? Harold Graham. Harold yeah, Graham. A, it is a great you know, shot. Mercurial Southpaw. Do you know what yeah. he said? The thing is, people get their kind of little dogmas about technique, and it works for them. And they end up trying to impose it on the rest of the universe. Anybody who trains it or anything else. Mm -hmm. And Harold had this thing, rather than saying like you just did, that sometimes you can finish your hand like that with a jab. I'm, I'm going, see how good I am? I'm actually going southpaw for Harold without even thinking unconsciously. Yeah. I'm like, why yeah. am I using this for a jab? Because I'm being Harold right now. He said, yeah. rather than, you know, instead of finishing like that sometimes when you want to get through the gap, yeah. Harold just said, no, don't ever turn your hand over when you're throwing a jab. That was his philosophy. He just said he would punch... Yeah, like that when he yeah. threw the jab. And he, Camacho would actually often throw a southpaw jab like that, you know, because mm -hmm. Teddy Atlas said it was because it was that fraction of a second or millisecond quicker than if he turned his hand over. And if he turned it over, but then it would be that less, that much less powerful. Yes, you, thank you. You know what I mean? So you're there, there's always, you know, you're six of this, half a dozen of the other. You're pulling one thing one way and it's not going all the other way. But I've always thought like, um, Things like that are very interesting to me. I, I know now more pe people are starting to find, like I guess this is a part of developing boxing is the science. I just don't understand how fighters are not all on the same page. Like the gazelle jab, I'm like, okay, well, like that's the gazelle jab is what like when Hagler hit Hearns and he jumps yeah. in with that right jab, he jump jump shot. Yeah, but yeah. He's, yeah. Is, but, but, but what that is, Ben? Yeah, go ahead. The genealogy of that was that Floyd Patterson and that leaping hook he would throw. Yeah, they called yeah. it the gazelle punch. Now, yeah. I guess because the footwork is the same uh, with the straight shot, it becomes mm -hmm. a gazelle jab. I would accept that one because it has its lineage rooted in proper boxing speak. Mm -hmm. uh, swivel jab, um, mm -hmm. not feeling but, it. But, but the thing is, Ben, the point, the point of the matter is people don't understand that boxing is about adapting 
to the moment, like in the moment. So that isn't a punch that was practiced and 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 taught to him. That's something that he he just like in the spur of the moment in order Did to it. get that man's chin fast. That's what happened. He didn't go in the gym and he hits a speed bag and he goes, okay, I'm going to do the gazelle jab now. Or no, no. I'm going to do you know that on the heavy bag or sparring partners. It's like, it, it, it's not even a, it's not even a thing. It's not like martial arts. They'll say, okay, I'll teach you how to do the karate chop and then, a you know, bent over toe hold or whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's not so with boxing. You remember uh, the sequence which, which Buster Douglas knocked down Mike Tyson in Tokyo, right? Yes. Yeah. In 1990, February 11th, actually. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm turning into Spencer Fear on there. The, the, I like that. The, the way I felt, you know, inclined to show off and tell you it's February the 11th, Spencer Fearon mm -hmm. does that with every single fight he talks about. He's like, yeah, March the 1st, 1949, or whatever. But um, <laughs> I think that somehow licenses this tag of the knowledge, which he doesn't need that. He's got the knowledge, you know, he doesn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. But. No, but Buster Douglas, um, the finishing punch that he hit Tyson with after that monstrous uppercut and, and the follow-up yeah. shots was yeah. this kind of downward left because he was punching down. The guy, Tyson was ready to go and he just finished with this. If it had been a right hand, you'd think it was like a chopping right hand. But this, it wasn't a jab. It wasn't a hook. It definitely wasn't an uppercut. It was a downward kind of yeah. almost like an overhand left. But that's not something he would have practiced. It was just the best way you could throw his hands at the man. To, to, yeah, to, he needed to, to get some of that, you know, you know I mean? it's really interesting because when we, um, I, I was part of the Ali movie with Will Smith and that Michael yeah. Mann shot. And in that, we were taken apart, like what Michael wanted to do, Michael Mann, the director, what he wanted to do in that show, in the, in the movie, in that particularly fight scene, particularly the fight scene with George Foreman, is actually emulate what Ali did in that fight in order to. Uh, in order to win that fight. And they said that Ali at one point, and I saw it absolutely different, but that didn't, you know, um, th that Ali, when he hit George Foreman, just before the knockdown, he hit him with the punch. He switched his feet to southpaw and hit him with a straight left. And I was yeah. like, that didn't happen. But people see what they want to see. And so the other guys that were given Michael information were like, this is what he did, and this is how it worked. And you can see Ali pivot, but it wasn't to that extreme. It wasn't that Ali pivoted when Southpaw hit, which he rarely did with anybody. Ali was a pretty much always, unless he was, he was always orthodox. He never and and yes. you know what combination? I don't know how it's going to come out on camera, but the combination Ali finished Foreman with was straight right, yeah, straight left, straight yep. right, left uppercut, right yep. hand. Yes. Yep, yeah. and he stood him up with the left uppercut because it was a loose wrist one. Mm -hmm. I remember it went yeah. like this. His yeah. fist went like that. So yeah. he just almost like lifted his chin perfectly into position and bop, hit him with the right hand. And and at some point in there, I should have had the I should have had the video down um, and checked it again beforehand. And they were saying he switched to southpaw, and I was like, no, it didn't happen. Do you know what? In, in future episodes, we should, if we know we're going to refer to certain things, then we yeah. should get little clips because Simon could certainly administrate those for us. Yeah. You know what, Silk? I realize that self-praise is no praise, but I'm wondering where else people could get this kind of insight from in a weekly, less than hour-long boxing podcast. Um, I'm out of ideas. Don't know about you. <laughs> you know what? I, I, um, I don't. It would be great for us if people really do want to know. Uh, but I I think people are, are happy with 
their knowledge and their experience as it is. I, I don't know if anybody, like the way the world is turning these days, the way everything goes uh, quickly, uh, everything goes so quickly and the way people just like take things in and they have their experience and, and they feel like they are, you know, experts on it because they've seen it. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how popular that's going to be if we're going to, you know what I mean? But we'll certainly take people to task and we should certainly, you know, hold fighters responsible for, for their... Uh, for their excellent performance or lack of, lack thereof. Ten Can you read that comment by Mas Khan? He says about yes. Tank beats Garcia, Haney yes. will be too fresh for Momachenko, if Old versus Ramirez is closer Good. than people think. Thoughts uh -huh. on Romanov versus Barrett? Are we talking about Zelfa Barrett here, Mas Khan? Yeah, I do not know either one of those two last Romanov or Barrett. Are we talking about Pat Barrett's relative who is challenging soon for a version of a world title just clear that up for me and we can we can you know look to be honest with you i've got to say even if even if you clear it up for me i don't have any strong feelings on it right now it's something that as it gets closer i will give you some feedback on for sure mm -hmm. well yeah uh, tank and tanking garcia i i mean i think that's really really a great fight that's that is what he said yes Okay, let, let us think about that. We will come back to that one. I'll even make sure Michael's availed of all the um, so yeah, Zelfa Barrett. I, I, I will I will hook you up with those details, Silk, and, and give you uh, the, the kind of backstory because his his um, uncle, I believe it was, was um, Monty a fighter called Pat Barrett, Pat the Black Flash Barrett here. One of those oh. guys who was like a world class talent, but only ultimately ended up with fine fine domestic achievements. He was a European champion, to be fair, so those continental oh. achievements too. But he could punch like the devil. But he was a gangland kid from a very bad area of Moss Side, traditionally bad area of Moss, sorry, of Manchester called Moss Side, where uh, they really knew how to fight. Those are the yeah. those that took it up. I remember being on a show one night as a teenager in uh, Gloucester, uh, or, and Moss Side had ten boxers on, and they all ten of them won, which was it just struck me they they had a certain amount of cachet as far as I was concerned back then. Pat Barrett, you know, the uncle of of, of the young lad who he was referring to was a good fighter whose head got turned by all the street life, you know, which I'm sure we could do a whole bunch of shows about that. Um, Man. <laughs> yeah. But. I mean, the, the influences and the way they go in boxing, I mean, it's that's one of the, it's you know, it's always streets versus, you know, will a fighter ever leave the streets? Will a fighter ever leave there? I mean, it's pretty much their heritage, you know what I mean, where you're coming from. And if you have to fight for a living, it's... It's one of the toughest forms of profession going, you know what I mean? It's like you really, your body really is your currency. And so your your wallet's only going to be as full for as long as your consciousness is and, uh, and ability. Well, hopefully, I, I suppose the, the biggest um, evolution that could occur in the whole culture would be if fighters were right, were better assisted to, to deal with life when it's all over, when the glory days are over and yeah. when the big purses are no longer coming so people could have revenue streams and pension plans and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, obviously Floyd Mayweather laid, laid down a blueprint, which a lot of a lot of young fighters, especially young American black fighters, have really, have, have really been, um, you know, influenced by, you know, and they, they look at the... Um, the risk management of Floyd's career, as well as his wonderful skills and his strategic approach to the sweet yeah. science. And yeah. I guess they would like to emulate that. But the simple truth yeah. is that there's going to be very few, if any, successors, you know, to that particular blueprint. Yeah, very few. And, and 
you know what? And Floyd's story hasn't been told either yet, right? Like it, that whole thing, we don't know his financial status. We know he's me. We know he has made a lot of money and he has to continue to make money, but he's made a lot of money for a number of things. He made a lot of money because he was extremely exceptional in terms of the talent side. He was extremely shrewd and he had a type of personality that people wanted to tune in either to see him win or to see him lose, but they tuned in to see him for a reason. Now, whether, you know, that along with his talent, uh, you know, and, and but even before people recognized his talent, I think they were more, well, I mean, he was talented coming out of the Olympics in his early professional career. Then he got to the stage whereas he wasn't the most exciting fighter going, but he, at that point, he was able to talk his way into, you know, turning up big gates. And, uh, and, and I think that absolutely helped him, but it doesn't mean other people are going to be able to do it because he's the exception to the norm, obviously. Like meeting that kind of talent with that type of, you know, uh, the same with that personality. Those are unique attributes. Absolutely. Um, so it's been a pleasure as always. Um, pleasure is mine. We'll be back next week breaking down whatever the latest stories are in boxing. Um, and in the meantime, just don't do anything that we wouldn't do. And if you do... Podcast Network.